Welcome back to another episode of Revealed Apologetics. I'm your host, Eli Ayala, and today we're going to be covering John Frame, uh, John Frame's book entitled uh, Apologetics, A Justification of Christian Belief. Uh, so again, you guys know that we cover a lot of topics relating to presuppositional apologetics, and uh, I don't know if there how many other resources there are who cover the wide ranging issues that we cover here. And so I'm sure there's some people that do it, but uh, my goal is to try to provide a resource for people who really just want to dive deep into presuppositional apologetics. And so um, I'm super excited to have my guest on who I'm going to introduce in just a moment. Um, but uh, I want to begin uh, this episode um, by showing a little love to John Frame. I know those who are Bonson fans and Van Til fans. Uh, John Frame is uh, somewhat of a controversial guy uh, within presuppositional circles, but he's definitely uh, been someone who has been greatly beneficial to me in my personal studies. Um, and so there's a lot of great insights that we can glean from John Frame, even if there uh, may be some areas of, of disagreement. So hopefully that will serve uh, useful for folks who are listening in. Of course, we don't just cover presuppositional apologetics here. We cover a wide range of topics relating to Reformed theology, um, issues of Protestant uh, Protestantism, sola scriptura. Uh, we've covered a wide range of issues here, but been on the precept tip for quite some time, and, and I don't see anything moving in a different direction. There's just so much uh, to cover. And it is my goal and my prayer that um, as complicated as some of these issues can be, uh, that you as the listener learn to contextualize what you're learning. So we can talk about all the highfalutin theological terminology, but if uh, if you are not able to contextualize that into your day-to-day -day discussions with unbelievers, then of course we, we need to work on that area. So, uh, but there you go. Well, before I kind of, uh, I'm going to share a little something in just a bit, but before uh, I do that, let me introduce my guest. I have with me Patrick Studebaker. He has his own um, YouTube channel, where he covers issues of apologetics and theology. I highly recommend you guys check his channel out. It is called, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Cave to the Cross. Cave apologetics. To the cross? Just at, at the end, apologetics, yep. Okay, so 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 it's Cave to the Cross Apologetics? Correct. All right, excellent. So um, if you're watching this and you want to kind of click away real quick and uh, do him a solid and sub to his channel, I highly recommend uh, you do that covers a wide range of topics, but I've seen some great book reviews on his channel as well. And that's a great way to read uh, without reading, if that makes sense. You can learn what a book is about without having to go through uh, the, <laughs> the whole thing. Now, of course, right. if, if you have time, uh, you want to read it, but uh, it's great to have a resource where folks are summarizing and doing all that hard work for us <laughs> in our busy life. So, <laughs> so Patrick, why don't you um, share a little bit about yourself and then we'll jump right into the meat of our discussion. Sure. Well, and uh, let me just uh, uh, plug you for a minute because I was there in the beginning when you were uh, debating a negation of P. And I remember oh. seeing your uh, debate where you were very kind and respectful, but also presuppositional and very mm. uh, uh, high view of, of God and his word. And so mm. I was I, I don't know if I wrote a blog post or or pointed people uh, to it uh, on our Facebook page, but that was uh, drew me in. And then once you did presup you. I was one of the first. So right. again, I, I, it says to be like Jesus. And if I can be at least be like Aslan and be there in the beginning, then, <laughs> then I'm, I'm, th I'm there. And so there's there nothing go. like being questioned by Matt Slick on your, on your last day, thinking that you have everything down for presupposition and you just get bowled over. So, so <laughs> if, if you haven't sign up for 
whatever, all the pre-sup use and, and help out Eli. Well, I appreciate that. And if folks are interested, I'm actually making a part two of the course. Um, I will be recording with a poly one second. Let me adjust the chair, my chair. You'll notice that throughout our discussion, I'll get shorter. My chair is going to start sinking, so I apologize. Um, yeah, I was in, I was invited back out to Apologia Studios in Arizona to do another part, uh, kind of a part two. But I'm also creating a longer version for uh, for my website. And folks who want to um, enroll in the part two of that course, it'll be more expansive um, uh, when I'm done with that. It's going to be a, a precept applied to atheism. Let me see if I can remember. Precept applied to Roman Catholicism. This is one part of the course, and so I'm excited about working on it. It's presup applied to presuppositional Eastern Orthodoxy. Mm. So that's going to be super interesting. And then presup applied to the cults, and then how to navigate discussion and what that looks like in the practical day to day. So that's that's what I have on the docket. So um, yeah. all right, well, the, the only yeah. problem with Jesus being Lord of all is that you have to presup everything because He is Lord of all. So that's right. That's so right. you'll never run out of topics. That's right. You can't. That's you, they're, they're endless, endless. Now, um, before we get into talking about John Frame, in honor of John Frame, because I, I am a fan, uh, I am a fan. Um, I wanted to read uh, a bit of my last interactions with John Frame on Facebook. Uh, so people have asked me, Eli, why don't you get John Frame on your show? Um, well, you would imagine with all the different guests that I've had, I've tried, uh, but unfortunately. Well, fortunately for him, unfortunately for me, uh, he's retired. And uh, so, uh, you know, he's he's kind of a retired war horse, so to speak. And so uh, I'm sure he wouldn't mind uh, after I invited him on here, are a few things that he said. And I'll even read you some of the questions I asked with some of his responses. They're not terribly long, so folks might be interested here. So after inviting him on, Eli said, Eli, uh, I'm sorry, John Frame said, Eli, I'm honored by your invitation, but really I cannot accept. I retired in 2017 and am now 81. That was a couple of years ago. So he's older now, right? So yeah, and he's, he says, I've distanced myself, distanced myself pretty far from academic theology in general and the presuppositional debate in particular. I used to engage in those debates with great gusto, but no longer. I think we'd be better off not arguing about methodology and instead, and here I, I think I would agree with him, instead take it to the streets as Greg Bonson asked us to do. My final word, this isn't his final word. I got to squeeze a couple more words out of him, but he says, my final word on all of this, every presuppositionalist is at heart an evidentialist and every evidentialist is at heart a presuppositionalist. Now you could interpret that however you'd like. <laughs> May God richly bless your labors in the kingdom in Jesus, John Frame. And so uh, later on, I asked him uh, a couple of uh, questions. Here's a couple of questions I asked him. Um, Let's see here. I think I asked him. Let me see. I asked him. Okay. There was one question I asked him a while back about the issue of equal ultimacy and predestination with mm. respect to Van Til. And so here's what I asked him. I said, question number one, did Van Til hold to the notion of equal ultimacy with regards to predestination? If so, what was the gist and uh, as to why? Is it simply because he thought it was biblical or did he have a more specific form of argumentation? And then I asked him a practical question. How do you or how did you study and take notes? Do you outline what you read, etc.? Any insights would be helpful. Thank you for your time. And so he responded. Hi, Eli. Van Til held to equal ultimacy because it is biblical. Uh, but of course, it is also logical. 
if God chooses a certain group, then he does not choose other groups. Um, with respect to my question about studying, he says, I took notes during my professor's lectures. Afterward, I would rework them and put them into an outline if I needed to take a test on them. Then I'd walk through the neighborhood with my notes, memorizing as I went. In reading, the type of study varies with the content. When I'm reading a book to write a review, I read it several times, taking notes each time. The first time, my goal is to learn what the author is saying. The second time, my goal is to take notes on anything particularly helpful or unhelpful, what I like and what I don't like. Those notes would form the core of my review. And when I'm reading, not to review, but just for my edification, I would skim some parts and read others more carefully according to my interest. And so I said, thank you. And so uh, there's another question I asked him. Uh, I said, morning, I hope all is well. As I was reflecting on the objection against presuppositional methodology, that is, that it is circular, an objection we are all too familiar with, I came across the following, and this is an objection someone wrote. The problem with presuppositionalism is that it is circular. It says that in order to prove the Bible, you have to assume the Bible. How does this work when there were thousands of years in which people never had the Bible? Mm. And uh, he responds, and again, he responds with a caveat, Patrick, because you can tell he doesn't want to uh, go too deep because he's retired. OK, but here's here's what he says. He says, hello, Eli. I used to spend a lot of time on these issues and I can't do so any longer. Please don't get me into a long back and forth. <laughs> but briefly, one, not only the Christian worldview, but any worldview depends on certain ultimate presuppositions. Two, these cannot be proved the way we prove other things because all proof presupposes those presuppositions. Three, so if you want to call it circular, go ahead. But every worldview is circular in that sense. Four, the circularity includes every attempt to prove the presupposition. Five, but once you've proved the presupposition, you can engage in non-circular arguments to prove other things within the system. For example, the law of gravity or something along those lines. Six, the Christian presupposition includes the Bible, but also natural revelation, every bit of knowledge that has come to us from God. Seven, since all our knowledge comes from God, our presupposition includes all knowledge. But of course, for the Christian scripture directs, uh, this Christian scripture directs our reading of all revelation outside of itself. Nine, the fact that all knowledge is included in our presupposition is to say that all knowledge is revealed by God. Ten. The other way to see this is that all knowledge has a normative perspective. All knowledge plays a role in governing our lives. So there is not a sharp distinction between our presupposition and knowledge in addition to the presupposition. The two are perspectives on one another, the normative and the situational. The normative is knowledge governing life. The situational is life governed by knowledge. The existential perspective describes this knowledge as a subjective event. Here's my favorite part. I guess I spent more time on this answer than I originally intended, but I would ask you not again to ask for more. <laughs> and, and that was the last thing I asked him. Uh, so there you go. That was nice. that was the final words of uh, John Frame, at least uh, with respect to uh, my interactions with him. And uh, he was gracious enough, even though he was, you know, long past his uh, time to do those sorts of things. He still gave a little time for my question. So I appreciate that. Well, I will say too, one of your first students in uh, Presup U did get him on his show. And he talked about his relationship with himself and the church. And I found that uh, interview quite enlightening as to the person of John Frame. So yeah. that was really interesting to see. 
Yeah, I remember the first time I met John Frame. I, I visited him at RTS in Florida, and the, I walk into his office and I see his feet under his desk. They're just dangling there, and it's like a wheelie chair. And I couldn't see his face because there was a pile of books, like like five feet tall. And he's like, "Oh, hello, it's a pleasure to meet you." And I felt so bad because I kept asking questions about Bonson. <laughs> So I was like, what was it like to have Bonson as a student? Blah, 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 you know. So, but but he was he was gracious uh, with his time, and it was it was cool to to be able to 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 talk to him for a little bit. But that's awesome. All right, well, got that out of the way. I hope people enjoyed that. Okay, we already have uh, we already have some people in the second here. We already have some people in the chat here. So welcome, and uh, a couple of people expressing yes, I have. They've subscribed to your channel. That's awesome. Good, good, good. All right. Well, let's jump right in. So, Patrick, you just recently finished John Frame's book, Apologetics, A Justification of Christian Belief. And um, I don't know if you've read the entirety of this bad boy, but I, I highly recommend this one. No. Yep. So Cornelius Van Til, an analysis of his thought. This is the book that I highly recommend people who want a very comprehensive view of Van Til. So these are the two things. If you want to go deep, here are two really good books. There's Greg Bonson's Van Til's Apologetic Readings and Analysis, which is my favorite book. And then John Frame's Cornelius Van Til, An Analysis of His Thought, which is an excellent book, probably up there as well. Um, I have some points of disagreement, obviously, but it's a super helpful book. Nonetheless, he's got a great section on Van Til's character, just the kind of person he was. So this is that, that, that's actually fun to, to hear um, mm. how John Frame perceived his, his professor. So... All right. So um, what what were your thoughts on completing the book? What was your overall kind of uh, impressions uh, when completing the book? And then we'll jump into some of the specifics of the book. Yeah. So uh, uh, my my uh, mentor and I, we do the show together where uh, we uh, just read a chapter and then we, we, we used to do this just offline and talk with each other about an apologetic book so we can build each other up as iron sharpens iron. I took mm -hmm. Howard Hendricks to uh, to to task and read everything that he ever said, and he said, "Find a mentor and then be a mentor." And so uh, mm. I, I chased down uh, my my uh, person who helped me the most with philosophy, and we said we need to uh, read together. And so uh, we we collaborate now, just filming it. So we invite people on to kind of experience the book club with us over coffee or on your drive to work, so that uh, we do kind of the heavy lifting for it. So sure. For, for for frame we found this as uh so initially we did um uh, against all opposition by bonson and we said that was kind of a, a high school level uh precept uh introduction and so we wanted to kind of take it up a little bit and look at maybe like a college level and so we found uh, apologetics uh here uh, justification of christian belief by frame and that sits right kind of in in the middle of of your your lower level college uh basis of, of where you're going to talk about. So uh, you, you kind of need a little bit of, of the philosophy in there to kind of make sense of it, to slow down and read it. Uh, but overall, Frame has a high view of scripture. He pushes you to have a high view of scripture in your apologetics, right. in your life. And he uh, attempts to uh, encourage all people to have good dialogue uh, where you are presenting the best possible case for the gospel in your mm. apologetics. So he does not divorce apologetics and gospel presentation they are you're doing you're doing evangelism when you're apologizing and you're apologizing when you're doing evangelism so i i love that uh aspect yeah. to them 
That's great because I think this is uh, John frame does not represent uh, what we often see in online manifestations of presuppositionalism. You know, I've seen online presuppositionalist. I mean, literally like spout out profanity in their discussions. D John frame is, a, is kind of the soft teddy bear of presuppositionalism, razor sharp intellect, but yeah. he's, he's very congenial, very like conversational. And, and, and I think you would agree with, I hopefully you'd agree with this, whether you agree with frame or not, he writes very clearly. And whether you agree with his conclusions, he covers aspects of Van Til that you're wondering about after you read Van Til, you're like, well, what about this? And he covers those areas, whether folks agree with the direction he goes or not. He, he definitely knows the main key points that are interesting to people who study this, this area. What do you think of that? Yeah, absolutely absolutely he 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 drives you to 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 be salt and light and serpent and dove mm. uh, you know he, he is he's not afraid to say uh it's wrong to do apologetics in a certain way but he's also uh asking uh people to have grace in their speech and sure. that that comes out uh, immensely when when he's talking about him suaviter and in, in modo right something like that <laughs> right yeah yeah um, now with respect to how he defines, how he comes, uh, uh, his presuppositional approach is very much linked with his, uh, tri-perspectivalism. Tri okay? You'll find threes throughout this book. <laughs> yes. So he's the, he, he's the Trinitarian apologist in the sense that everything <laughs> comes in threes. Now, yeah. what I found useful, uh, Patrick, and maybe you can kind of unpack this if, if you can, um, when he defines apologetics, there's a whole section in the book on definitions. And he actually gives kind of a trifold definition. He defines apologetics as proof, uh, which involves presenting a rational basis for faith right. or proving Christianity to be true. He defines apologetics as defense, which involves like answering um, objections of unbelief. Right. And then he defines apologetics as offense, attacking the foolishness of unbelieving thought. Uh, is the, do, could Can you unpack those three different levels, those three, three different definitions that he provides? Um, how does that reflect his, his very much tri-perspectival approach to apologetics as a whole right right so yeah he 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 has what he calls a biblical perspective on apologetics again he's he's always going to tie apologetics with scripture if if mm. uh if you don't uh he he warns about teaching uh falsity which is not what we want to do because we're always uh evangelizing during our apologetics even evangelizing to uh, to believers, which uh, I'll get to in, in a little bit, uh, or we become false teachers ourselves, which is definitely something we don't want to do. And it's something that I've seen. Uh, I won't, you know, name any names, but it, it seems like the easy thing to do these days is to downplay or to deny certain aspects of once held uh, standard uh, biblical theology. Uh, right. Just to uh, kind of appeal to a conversation that that gets you in the door uh, to 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 the scholars at the table and it, sure. it provides you a seat. And so Frame's not worried about having the seat at the table. He's worried about am I presenting the gospel uh, inherently here? And so yeah. of course I, I, I always call First uh, Peter three fifteen and sixteen the tattoo that all apologists would probably get on their their arm even if uh, they didn't believe in tattoos. <laughs> I got a. I mean. Yeah, that's the one. a tattoo and from three first Peter three fifteen. So yeah, that's right. So yeah, so uh, it needs to be carried out with with uh, you know the, this this honoring Christ is holy, and so yes, you're right. He he talks about apologetics as proof. He says uh, that it's you're able to offer evidence in support of your belief. And what mm. does he do? 
He ties this with the Bible. He says Jesus offers proof of his works in John 14. Uh, he does so uh, with Thomas. Uh, the, 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 the misalignment of, of what uh, we let people talk about the word faith in uh, with, with Doubting Thomas is, is, is rooted here. And it would uh, behoove the, the apologists the, the, uh, and all Christians to know proper definitions of faith. And uh, uh, this, this isn't a blind leap in the dark. In fact, that's what we're going to accuse um, uh, uh, non-believers of doing when it comes to certain aspects of, of their worldview. Mm. Uh, but this is something rooted in the testimony of the apostles and then ultimately in Jesus himself. And then, of course, yeah. we have the resurrection testimony in 1 Corinthians 15. Of course, yeah. Now, I think it's very important. A lot of people think that presuppositionalism and like the transcendental argument kind of boils down to kind of a form of fideism, kind of like a bare authority claim that Christianity is true. Uh, but it's interesting to note that the title of the book, which wasn't the original title, I think the original was Apologetics to the Glory of God. Notice that the title of the book, which I think captures really the essence of what precept is about and what apologetics is about, is that it is apologetics a justification of Christian belief. So whether you think Frame is successful in that, whether you think Bonson is successful in that, I think all presuppositionalists would agree that um, apologetics is about justifying the Christian worldview. And this is why I think Van Til's definition of apologetics is so important. People ask me, you know, what's a very simple way that we could define precept? And the first definition that comes in my mind is, is the first page of Christian Apologetics by Van Til. He says that um, apologetics is the vindication of the Christian philosophy of right. life right. over against the non-Christian philosophy of life. So our apologetic involves vindication. It involves a worldview, a philosophy of life, antithesis. We're against another philosophy of life. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of summarizes the whole precept method there in one sentence, which I think is, is awesome. So, okay. So if you could summarize in kind of a broad stroke, what is this book about? Why is this book unique? And then we'll kind of dive into some of the specifics. I think there's a really important section that I'd like, I'd love to get your thoughts on with respect to Frame's understanding of the importance of Sola Scriptura in apologetics. Mm. There's yeah, a so, section there. Yeah. So he, he, he does this, this trifecta of, of evidence, defense, and offense. And then mm. that, that's what he, he offers. So that, that's kind of the breakdown um, uh, of his book. And so uh, w when it comes to, uh, defense, you're answering objections to unbelief, uh, things like um, the theodicy is is there, but, uh, but also um, we're answering objections of unbelief or objections that people have. And so uh, Frame doesn't shy away from uh, saying that our, our apologetic can also be towards the Christian. And so there are times where Frame even says uh, uh, there, are, there are certain cases where even more so that um, that our apologetic is to build up the, the believer to build up the church right. and of course that that's that was his goal as well and then going on the offense uh, that's what you're talking about is the antithesis so um uh, let's take a look at all the other worldviews out in the world and let's answer them and so sure. uh we're we're able to to uh parry uh, and we're able to uh, uh, uh lunge with with our uh, rapier right that's awesome and and uh, you said also that apologetics involves engaging with other Christians as well. I mean, there, there is an external aspect of apologetics where we're engaging the unbeliever. And then there are elements of apologetics that we need to do within the church. The first thing that came to mind when you said that was uh, Jude chapter one, verse uh, three through four. Uh, i read it for folks. Cause I think it's, it's cool. Uh, verse one and three chapter one and three, we often quote that for like 
putting forth this idea that apologetics is necessary, contending for the faith. But look what look what Jude says here. He says, Beloved, although I was very eager to you to write about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to uh, to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And then he goes on in verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, I found it necessary because people have crept in. So even within the context of believers, we have falsehoods that that come in and require, indeed it is necessary, that we contend for the faith within that context as well as that external context of engaging directly with like the unbelieving world. Uh, that's not necessarily within the quote unquote four walls of of the church. So I think that's a, an important point. Right. So, so um, perhaps you can unpack for us uh, what is the difference in your opinion uh, of John Frame's presentation of a presuppositional approach and Van Til's. I know a lot of people are very critical of Van Til's um, kind of broad brushing over the gist of what he's arguing for. So if we know, for example, philosophically, um, Van Til comes from a continental philosophical perspective in which there is great emphasis upon worldview and systems. And those who are more analytic minded uh, chide him for not being so specific. Is Do you see a contrast between kind of the broad stroke, ambiguous kind of big picture and maybe John Frame's approach to, do you see Frame going into more detail on key points than Van Til um, has? Hmm. I, I guess from what I've read of Van Til, um, again, it, it, it's not to say that uh, Van Til uh, doesn't use scripture, but that mm -hmm. um, the, the push for, for Frame is to always ground um, your, your, your uh, evidences or your, your claims of, you know, I, I think you say it a number of times of, of the preconditions of in, uh, of intelligibility is sure. kind of you kind of got to do more than more than that. And so here, uh, you know, a frame does um, look at um, metaphysics and and uh, epistemology and ethics, and he's tying it back to kind of the character and and person of of God. Mm. And so that's that's kind of where he goes for in his apologist uh, apologetics is looking at uh, those areas and then building out exactly. Uh, what in those areas uh, makes presup uh, such a good foundation because of who God is? Yeah. Yeah, the who God is, is so important, right? The metaphysical foundation. So we talk about the Christian worldview, metaphysics, epistemology, and ethics, which are the three foundations of, of a worldview. One of the basic assumptions metaphysically for Van Til is that creator-creature distinction, where we are we acknowledge a fundamental difference between God as creator and everything else as creation. God is original. We are derivative. So there's always that healthy balance between what creatures are and the unique nature of the creator. And that actually has great apologetic import as to how we answer certain questions uh, theologically. So I think that's very uh, important. Now, when I look at uh, Frame's book here, uh, and I look at the table of contents, he kind of breaks them up into multiple sections. So he talks about apologetics, the basics of apologetics, talks about definitions, presuppositions, uh, all those sorts of things. But there is a mention here of sola scriptura. And I mm -hmm. think that's on chapter on page 18. Uh, let's see here. I have the book in front of me. So sola scriptura. So, of course, frame is coming, obviously, from a clearly reformed perspective. What role? Do you see uh, sola scriptura playing in 
John Frame's apologetic, uh, or just in terms of the reform perspective? I mean, a solo scriptura is such an important aspect. Um, how does he um, involve solo scriptura in the broader discussion of what he's trying to accomplish in his book? Yeah, yeah, and, and that's something too. Is that fr a frame is is wholly uh, uh, as in complete, not uh, wholly yeah. uh, in the other way. Uh, <laughs> he's probably that too. Uh, he's uh, fully. He's fully not whole. Yes, home. yes, exactly. He's a hundred percent reformed and a hundred percent man. So yeah, you got a two yeah. nature. Yes, <laughs> yeah, the hypostatic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so yes, in Sola Scriptura's section here, he says that uh, you don't need to exclude everything else other than the Bible. It's just that the Bible restrains how to look at everything. So mm. you can bring in other books, other church leaders, other, you know, uh, um, um, evidences or, or um, writings or uh, sure. proofs. But it has to be restrained from the Bible. So if mm. if it's if it precludes you from from bringing that argument to the table, you should say that's interesting. I wonder if I can reform it and mm. turn it to the glory of God. But we can look at other things. It has to be restrained by the, from uh, by the Bible. So we can use other items other than the Bible to bring evidences. But our ultimate control of looking at those evidences is the Bible. The Bible judges those other books and evidence. The Bible doesn't conform to those other sources. Mm. And then he goes on, sorry, to talk about natural revelation and soul scriptura as well. So mm. he's uh, probably someone who uh, would uh, tend to use as well. And he says, natural revelation is the truth of God and everything is made, nature, man, everything. That, of yeah. course, comes from Romans 1, which is probably the other, the other arm tattoo that uh, we all need. But natural <laughs> revelation doesn't show the gospel message of salvation. So that's right. the important part of why we need that uh, special, specific uh, um, uh, outpouring of, of God's word to us. Mm. Direct divine speech shortens the length curve of natural revelation. So yes, we can get there. We can we can say, oh, look up at the stars. There's a, a, some something above and, uh, and beyond that that has to have created it. Uh, it it, it, it uh, must be greater than it. It must be outside of it. Why do all the hard work? When in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. <laughs> Divine revelation shows the purpose of the resurrection. Natural revelation only gets you to the fact of the revelation, which mm. uh, is something that we kept saying, uh, uh, my, my, my mentor and I, through this conversation, is the, 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 the fact of faith is not the resurrection in and of itself. It's right. Jesus died and rose again on the third day to pay for your sins. And that's mm. where the ultimate expression of faith resides in. Is he going to be faithful to the end to pay for my sins? Because right. without him and without doing that, then I'm still dead in my sins. And so uh, we need to uh, realize that the divine aspect of scripture kind of outweighs and, and, and makes it easier and provides the basis for knowing the purpose sure. of the resurrection. So when we talk about classicalists or evidentialists who uh, do the two-step approach or the one-step approach, which mm -hmm. if you're dancing, evidentialist is the way to go because you only have one step and uh, <laughs> you're less likely to step on people's toes. But there, you might you might get to the resurrection. And what happens to the unbeliever? Oh, well, uh, people, I guess, do rise from the dead. It's that story mm -hmm. of, of, of the man who you're trying to convince... Uh, isn't a zombie and he goes but zombies don't bleed i'm i'm you know i'm clearly a zombie well zombies don't bleed would you uh, uh suggest that's the truth oh yeah sure zombies don't bleed you pick them flick them and he bleeds and he goes huh look at that zombies do bleed so <laughs> he's just shifting his idea because his ultimate uh ideas in life is that he's a zombie well divine uh, revelation corrects our mistake in natural revelation and here's uh, kind of the key point uh from this section is that 
presupposition is the application of scripture of natural revelation. Mm. So we don't remove the, we don't, we don't disjoint the fact of the resurrection with the meaning of the resurrection. Because on a purely evidential basis, when we, when you quote unquote, prove the resurrection of Jesus, all you've proven is that someone came back from the dead. Right. But what that means requires the broader worldview context that gives it meaning. Now, some people might think that's ridiculous. Like, oh, you know, someone says, well, you just proved that someone was raised from the dead. That doesn't mean Christianity is true. People don't actually say that. If you prove the resurrection, you know, come on. I had a debate with a well-known YouTube atheist by the name of Tom Jump. And in our debate or in our discussion, he actually suggested, he said, well, I can grant you the resurrection. That's what he told me. He says, I can grant you the resurrection. That doesn't mean that an all-powerful God exists. And I was like, wait a second. You're disjoint. You're trying to pick apart my worldview and isolate the parts. I said, my worldview is not that a man named Jesus rose from the dead. My worldview is that the all-powerful God revealed in natural right. and special revelation is the one who raised him. Uh, that that that's in you cannot separate those those elements. And right. um, this is very much what we see today, Patrick, with a lot of people within the, the mere Christianity movement, right? That all we need to do is prove the resurrection and everything else gets clumped together, right? Uh, right. We don't need the Old Testament, those sorts of things. Uh, that's the, you know, the piecemeal apologetic approach, which I think frame uh, to some degree would reject. And there's some elements right. of piecemeal in his, you know, we don't get into that. But, right. um, you know, you hear other people uh, argue along those lines. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that's, that's the, the, the greater benefit of the presuppositional position mm -hmm. is we can't break apart God. We can't talk about him as love and only love. It right. has to be in the context of judgment and uh, supremacy and uh, impartiality and uh, uh, spe specificity. We, we, we don't, a, a, a worldview that anyone operates uh, is not a real worldview if they're able to hold one out here and one out here. If, if they're not standing on that worldview, then it's not their ultimate commitment. Right. And just as Van Til said that it's apologetics is the vindication of the Christian philosophy of life. It's a worldview system that we don't, we don't put apart. Mm -hmm. Now, just uh, for those in the comments, I know some questions are coming in. Yeah. If you have any questions uh, for Patrick or myself, uh, we'll take a, we'll take a few uh, towards the back end. Um, I'll give him all the hard ones because uh, it's Thursday and, you know, I'm tired. So I don't know how many, I don't know how many questions I'll be able to contribute to, but if you have any questions for him, awesome. Uh, if you have any questions for me, that's fine as well. I'll try my best to address some of them. Um, but what I really appreciated something you said, Patrick, about Sola Scriptura is that you acknowledged the, the usefulness of other authorities, but that scripture is the ultimate authority. I mean, that isn't that not what Sola Scriptura is, right? It's the, the idea that scripture is the sole infallible rule of faith not that it's right. the only rule of faith but it's the sole infallible rule of faith and i think there's an interesting parallel patrick between the issue of the utilization of presuppositional methodology and the use of evidence and arguments we could right. use arguments okay but they do not stand more ultimate than the authority of god in those arguments so they they work together they're not mutually exclusive but we acknowledge the proper roles and authority i think that's important with respect to um sola scriptura right Right. And, right. and and when we talk about the confessions, the church fathers, when, when we when we um, kind of uh, talk about our church constitutions, even uh, we understand that we are uh, we have learned men who are working in community under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, who mm -hmm. uh, to 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 not the full extent of Scripture, but to the extent uh, that uh, they have a, 
um, living, they have him living inside of them and then doing the best uh, to formulate a uh, consistent and uh, biblical um, uh, document or writing or telling of truth. But ultimately, what, what, what does the good pastor do in the pulpit? He says, ultimately, don't believe me. Open your Bibles and find right. it there. If I'm an error, let me be an error, but let every man be a liar, but God yeah. is not. And that, that's so important too, Patrick, because it assumes, the Christian worldview assumes that language is a sufficient mechanism to gain truth. This is much, very much involved with the issue of like Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy. You hold to like an infallible, you know, if you're Roman, Roman Catholic, you have an infallible magisterium that needs to tell you what scripture means. Uh, and so you, you know, you have no authority to interpret, but God has created us in such a way and communicated to us in such a way that language is a sufficient tool to go to and study and learn. I don't, we don't need an infallible magisterium. God has given us the ability to read scripture and to understand it. Now that's not going to remove the reality of disagreement, but as I, I often say the, you know, when someone says, well, someone's going to interpret scripture differently than you, um, the reality of different interpretations does not logically entail the impossibility of knowing whose interpretation is correct. Multiplicity right. of interpretations doesn't mean that there is not a true one, nor does it mean that you can't know or justify your particular interpretation. Uh, so I think that's important to, to keep in mind. Go to your Bible because God has created us and revealed himself in such a way that that is a sufficient tool to judge what is what is right. right. So I think that's an important. Aspect. So you're telling me out of all the numbers that you could pick from, from zero to infinity and then some two plus two equals this thing that you call four. But on my paper, I have five. So clearly we have different interpretations of this. No right. one is wrong. What, what out of out of all the false numbers there, why did you have to pick this one? You know what? I just believe in one less number than you do. So. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> all right. So uh, in, I think, chapter three of Frame's book, he does talk a little bit about um, faith, scripture, and evidence. He talks about the concept of proof, the need for proof. But he also talks about the important topic of the point of contact between believer and unbeliever. And I, maybe you can unpack that for us because we, we know that because apologetics engages in kind of a worldview discussion, you know, I have my worldview, I have my presuppositions that's going to impact how I interpret the data. The unbeliever is in the same situation. What, is, what does Frame say with respect to what the point of contact should be? Because it seems that there is no neutrality, right? We all have our worldview framework or worldview right. bubble or lens. Yeah. So how do we communicate with each other? I think Abraham Kuyper is a well-known reform thinker said that, Hey, there's antithesis. There's a worldview. There's no neutrality. So apologetics is useless. Is, is Abraham Kuyper right? And where would frame disagree? Man, you're going to pit me against frame and Kuyper. I'm, I'm not getting in the middle of that one. <laughs> But, but they are they are way too Dutch reformed uh, between them for for me. Hey, I'm Puerto Rican reformed, so it's, you know. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, of course, the reformed understanding of how unbelievers can have a point of contact with truth is that they are made in the image of God, and that's where Frame uh, hoists the sail for for this portion. Mm. How 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 can we? We're you know we're 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 each trying to uh, uh, levy shots at the the foundational aspect uh, for pre uh, our presuppositions here. Uh, hopefully the unbeliever is doing the same. The Christian actually has the high ground. We know in Star Wars that if you have the high ground, you win. So there's that. So, so, uh, so being made in the image of God isn't destroyed, but it's suppressed. 
of course, we always turn to Romans 1 there. Suppression still has this point of contact, he says, which is that image of God. And this is where the apologist should appeal to. So suppression is done through ethical rebellion. Done, uh, it does according to their desire, not a, mm. not, not a psychological one. A believer is characterized by right thinking to do the right thing. Right. So there's their changed desire produces right thinking and doing. This is why the apologist must be truthful in preaching the word and rely ultimately on the Holy Spirit. Proof and evidence is appealing to the image of God within the unbeliever. And so uh, the, kind of how I think about this, and it could be wrong, which uh, is entirely known to happen, is I always think of a basketball or, or a beach ball. You're, you're putting it under the surface of the water and right. you're suppressing it. And if you let it go, poop pops back to the surface. We don't want that basketball in, in, uh, to be seen. We're pushing it under. But what do I have to do in order to suppress it? I have to maintain some contact with it. And what Frame says is that point of contact, our, our, our fingertips on, on the ball as an unbeliever is the unable to get away from the image of God. And so that's mm. what we're speaking to when we say, uh, you know, it, when, when you talk about Romans 1, it's not a, I went out to the, to the field and I looked up at the sky and all of a sudden I'm convicted that there is God. Anything that you do throughout your, your entire life from birth to death, everything in between, brushing your teeth, uh, all happens because the truth of God. And so right. uh, from, from, from looking in the mirror, uh, you, should, you should be convicted from, from pushing that uh, beach ball underneath. You, you are maintaining some contact. It's, it's, it's corrupted. The, the mirror is foggy, but it's not all the way broken so you can't see yourself. Mm. Okay. That's, a, that's important. I think uh, the, the point of contact is not for Frame and for Van Til and for Bonson, I think, is not neutral ground. That's not Absolutely the point. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah. But it is common ground. So right. there's a distinction between neutral and common ground that I think is important. And, and a lot of folks who are who criticize uh, presuppositionalism often mix that up. Um, right. Yeah. All right. Very good. And so uh, when we take a look at the presuppositional method, I think the heart of the presuppositional form of argumentation is the transcendental argument. And of course, of course. frame uh, touches on this. And I think um, I, I appreciate the fact that there, there's an, a section, I believe, in chapter four, uh, I think it's on page 80, where he talks about tag, transcendental argument for God's existence and the Trinity. How does Frame work that out as, as you understand him? What is the relationship between tag, the Trinity? What does that look like in terms of, of argumentation for Frame? Uh well, uh, first, in, in his uh, metaphysics, uh, Trinity plays a big part there. So one being in three persons, uh, you can be described in a personalistic term. Uh, there, uh, you know, the, the example is uh, God is love is not directed towards anything outside of God. It's mm -hmm. also sufficient within the triune God there. Um, but as for tag, I'm, I'm, I'm not, not quite remembering um, any portion of, of Trinity as it relates to tag. I know there, there is uh, quite a, a long discussion there on on uh, the transcendental argument, though. Okay. All right. Well, that'd be an, uh, so if folks are interested, I, uh, it's on page 80 of his book. So if folks have the book that might be a worth, um, uh, worth looking into. And I have a whole, I have a bunch of videos oh. on tag. So, and um, yeah. So mere theism doesn't happen here. Uh, God must be the one and the many, and therefore must be a Trinity. That's why I don't have too many notes from it because I'm still trying to ah. figure out one in the many. <laughs> uh, I see. Okay. I see. But, but, but um, w would you say that frame is not arguing for generic theism by using tag? He, he's specifically arguing for a Trinitarian conception of God. If, if you, if you break down God at any point where he is not the biblical Christian God uh, mm -hmm. frame is going to reject it. 
Okay. And so it, it, he, it has to be Trinitarian in nature because of who God is in both the real relational and then also um, able to, um, to exist independently of his creation and mm. still maintain all the qualities. Love is a great one. That's always a good one to go to when we're talking to Muslims because you have to say God cannot learn anything new, correct? Well, how does one love if you don't have any object to which to love? Well, in the Trinity, that's easy. In fact, it's more than easy because there's more than one person within the Trinity, and that's yeah. the, you know the the Son, the Father, and the Spirit. But when when uh, Allah is just one uh, complete, well, He has to create in order to love, and so their creation is dependent on Allah. Yeah. Oh, excellent. So there's a lot of different areas that he covers, some technical issue areas as well, which we don't have time to get into. But there is a there is a section I think on chapter ten entitled talking to a stranger. So if we take all of this complicated, you know, metaphysics, epistemology, words that you probably should never use in discussion <laughs> unless you're, you know, online debating these issues with someone who's um, more philosophically nuanced in their approach. Uh, what does frame, uh, how, how does frame speak to the issue of bringing this to the streets? Cause I know he, uh, one of the things that he told me when I, when I met him all those years ago, he said that, you know, the big thing was that Bonson wanted people to stop arguing about methodology and take it to the streets. Not that those arguments weren't unimportant, but that it's better that we're doing apologetics than simply or merely, that's key, arguing about methodology. I think we should argue about methodology because it's important, but not to the exclusion of actually doing it. How does Frame speak to that issue of applying the method in kind of our day-to-day -day situation? Yeah, I, I think it's 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 removing it's removing the hard stuff uh, that mm. that uh, we 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 like to um, put in there. So, like when we talk about, well, uh, all right, let's let's uh, approach uh, um, uh, this uh, this uh, area of abortion, and let's let's talk about the preconditions of intelligibility here. Mm. No, it's it's really difficult to get somebody else to do that. In fact, um, the, the the one thing uh, I think Frey mentions is that you're 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 almost on on a bus with somebody and so you're not wanting to have this full-on debate with other uh you know a, a a big name atheist you're having a conversation with a person and you mm. almost have to meet them uh where they're at as far as language goes and so right. um that's what he um suggests as far as making sure we can we can understand it in fact there's a there's a youtube series that i really like uh on explaining x and it uh, explains to uh, a six-year-old and then someone in high school, then someone in college, and then someone who's, you know, like a master. And it's, it's always amazing to see that um, breakdown, because if you can't explain it to the, the six-year-old, I think Einstein says, is that you don't even know it yourself. And so if we're able to do, if we're able to do it well, and, and what we're doing too, remember, is that we're doing um, evangelism. So we're, we're offering the God of the Bible in place of what, whatever they might have. Mm, okay and i'm sure i've missed a lot there because there there no, is a a, there's a great section in fact he has in there a a kind of a a, a a faux conversation that is really good that just takes the book that you just read and and systematizes it in a conversation mm. form now okay so so he lays out what apologetics is he goes into the details of worldview and goes into the whole presuppositional spiel but someone might ask well what's the difference between someone like john frame and someone like greg bonson if someone if someone were to say patrick can you suggest for me a book to learn 
a presuppositional apologetics is frame for you the first person you go to if so why if not why why not um and so, so in, other, in essence what makes frame different than someone like a bonson in your opinion uh it's it's going to be tag of course it's going to be the transcendental argument that is the 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 forked factor there that mm -hmm. uh frame is is holding uh van Til's idea of the transcendental argument uh, a little looser um he doesn't right. he doesn't discard it but he he holds it looser than uh definitely what what bonson would uh want to and it's uh, something that uh van Til uh probably wouldn't support uh, as well so i i would I, I would still suggest bonson because bonson is going to uh, drive the point home, and and there's there's a good resources out there. Uh, uh, I mentioned against all opposition is a great uh, sure. kind of uh, f first book that I would recommend people. And this one is that that kind of next step of once you read the the three pushing the antithesis is a really good one as well. Sure. And then I always forget the third one, and uh, you have the original copy of it somewhere back there on your bookshelf. Uh, but this this would be the fourth one, and and I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, shy people away from it. But I would also say. When, once you get to the transcendental argument portion of this, this is where the 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 separation from Bonson and and uh, Frame would be. So what so what is it uh, that Frame thinks of the transcendental argument that makes it different than how Bonson understands the transcendental argument? Right. So he has um, what he calls questions, and so he um, he has kind of six different uh, objections, uh, uh, maybe. Uh, objections is too strong of a word, but he he he's got questions that he asked that um, he's he's uh, thinks that Ventil either overplays his card or uh, out outplays uh, too heavily uh, against other uh, apologetic methods. Mm. So so Ventil would make a sharp distinction between his method and the classical traditional approach and frame. While acknowledging that there's a distinction, uh, he doesn't think the distinction is as far as, say, someone like Van Til and Bonson. So that a lot of what the presuppositionalist is doing or can do is going to be very similar to what a traditional classical kind of apologist would do. Have I got it? Have I got it a little bit accurate? Yeah, there? yeah. and and uh, he, he'd rub you the wrong way the other way and say sometimes the classicalist does things a little bit better than even the, mm -hmm. uh, the, um, the presuppositionalist as well. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Cool. All right. Well, um, I want to take a couple of questions uh, from folks and then we could jump right back in. Um, let's see here. Well, thank you, Jess, Jesse Gardner. I love the, Hey, Eli, I love your work. I have, I'm having serious trouble learning pre-sub. That's okay, but I'm happy to listen to you. Well, thank you. Uh, and uh, hopefully uh, it's, uh, it's been useful. So uh, let's see here. Um, Extended. Let's see here. Do, 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 do. All right. Question by Jay. Who? Any background on the Bonson frame disagreement on the cosmological argument? You have any thoughts on that? Not, not specifically. Not at least not from this book that that I gained, yeah. gathered. I, I think it it has to do. Well, well, first, Bonson was not a big fan of the cosmological argument. He uh, and and it's that's purely independent of his presuppositional commitments. I think Bonson, as a philosopher, did not find the cosmological argument uh, to be a good argument. Now, of course, you want to be very careful when you speak of the cosmological argument. That cosmological argument is more accurately understood as cosmological arguments, plural. 
-hmm. Cosmological arguments are a family of arguments of which you could have different manifestations of that variety. Um, so you could have cosmological arguments. Generally speaking, you have the Kalam, which is slightly different than uh, some other formulations of the cosmological argument. Bonson wasn't a fan of it because he thought philosophically and logically uh, it wasn't good. And I think there was a dispute as to whether you can turn the cosmological argument into kind of a presuppositional-esque kind of argument. And so I think Bonson took issue with uh, whether Frame was able to do that or if the presuppositionalist is able to, to reformulate the argument. Um, so again, with more, with more detail, I'm not sure I'd have to look it up, but, um, I would it, find it should be said very, too about you know, the, the original version of, of this book, um, uh, mm -hmm. Bonson did read it. He did critique it, but he yep. says, uh, for this book in particular, that it's a great layout of the rejection of neutrality in the, uh, uh apologetic method. Yeah. So uh, that, that's of course uh, a big key p component here that, that, uh, um, frame really wants to push and and say uh out of out of all the things that i disagree with um uh, the 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 tag vantillian presuppositional form uh doesn't allow for neutrality and so bonson praises him for that in in uh in a lecture hmm. i think he critiques the book as well in a classroom in a lecture while frame is sitting in the audience Hey, so there, there's an entire section answering frames criticism. If you go to uh, sermon audio, there's a lecture series on that. You can find that there and there it's available for free there. So I highly recommend folks uh, check that out. Uh, let's see here. Thank you, Scott. He says my my frame, my frame uh, impression is uh, spot on. Thank you very much. I worked very hard to master to master that. Let's see here. Scroll down here. Okay, so Scott Terry asks, uh, will Cave to the Cross Apologetics be covering any other apologetic book in the near future? Uh, we're in the middle of one right now. In fact, it's one of our favorite um, uh, books that we've read before. We want to share it uh, with other people. In fact, we're almost where we're at, not where the audience is at, but where we're at, we're about ready to turn the page into presup. So it's uh, Faith Has mm -hmm. Its Reasons uh, by Kenneth yeah. Boa and Robert Bowman Jr., uh, it's a, it's a phenomenal uh, book. Uh, I agree. Uh, there's it takes a look at all four um, uh, methodologies. It says uh, kind of the history of them. It provides the meta uh, apologetic uh, uh, positions to them. It talks about the areas in which all uh, apologists have to answer certain questions and takes a look at how they would answer. And then it talks about strengths and weaknesses for the, for for what are the author's view does. And I'll say uh, when we get to presuppositionalists. I don't even know if really their uh, negatives are that negative. So, so uh, yeah, but his, we'll be his, doing that. This section on presuppositional apologetics was excellent. Uh, the, the, this book, it, th that's the book that I would give if someone was yes. to say, what are the differences? And I'm yes. okay reading a big book. Better than the five re the five views. And I love five views. In fact, yeah. I've, I, it's, it's hard to not reference five views uh, when we're talking even in that book because the dialogue is worth yeah. it. And of course, frame is the presuppositionalist there, uh, which, uh, which is, uh, very, uh, apropos for us today. Another, another good book that has a good section on a summary of the presuppositional. There's even a section on, uh, the connection between presuppositionalism and reformed theology. And it's in this book, mapping apologetics. There's actually the, the, the section on presuppositional apologetics is actually pretty good. Um, so I highly recommend that as well. This is I why I, make... I don't like watching Eli too much because my list of books keeps growing. And so it's you <laughs> and Tim Challey's daily uh, Kindle uh, suggestions is always <laughs> terrible. 
<laughs> but I, I will say, um, if I can plug myself real quick, givethecross.com, if you scroll down to the middle of the page, it lays out all the books that we've done and it, you, it takes it from most recent in that series. So you just go mm. down to the bottom and then work your way back. And it's, we do chapter by chapter. Uh, we don't cover everything because we don't want to, we want you to pick up the book as well. Uh, or, uh, what we like to say is, uh, take it off your shelf, blow off the dust and open it with us. And so, uh, we've done a number of books, uh, including Jason Lyle. Uh, we did, uh, um, um, uh, Mitch Stokes, uh, one of my favorite ones that, um, I, I, I was forced by uh, by God to preach uh, something that I, I read. It percolated in my brain for about three years, and I had to get the message to other people, and that was utilizing uh, Scott Christian's book, uh, What About Evil, which huh. I've, I've, I've been referencing that book. That that book needs to be longer uh, because it had such an impact on me. In fact, the, the, the last portion uh, of it is the application of the theodicy um, and uh, I, I think needs to be expanded. And I know he has got the uh, the the armchair reader version uh, coming out soon that uh, I'll be happy to read as well. Uh, but that book was phenomenal in yeah. in uh, being consistent, being uh, gracious, but being truthful as well. And then talking about God as a master storyteller. In fact, uh, uh, later on uh, this year, I'm, I've been invited to talk about that book and how it relates to uh, uh, authors telling stories that include mm. evil. So, yeah. uh, you know, again, uh, uh, all, all, all truth is God's truth, even when we're creating fiction. Yeah, that's awesome. And Scott Christensen has been on the show before, and he was one of my speakers for the Epic Online Calvinism Conference, uh, which folks, uh, that's available for purchase for a pr pretty cheap price. It's cheaper than when we had it live, um, but that's not available online for public viewing. But if you go to the website, you could actually order it. It's in it's um, entitled, if you go to the Precept U section on the website, it's entitled The Epic Online Calvinism Conference, where I spoke about Calvinism and Molinism. Dr. James White spoke about some various texts that usually come up in the Calvinism debate. Scott Christensen talked about free will, and I had Guillaume Bignon to talk about the proper use of analogies uh, within the debate. He talks about the claim of uh, Calvinism reduces people to puppets and all that sort of stuff. Super awesome uh, series. I had Matt Slick talk about, um, was it Matt Slick? No, Matt Slick was from my other conference. I apologize. Um, I think there was some other, I think we had Saiten Bruggenkate covering how to talk about Calvinism in like a informal context or something like that. But it's super, super helpful. Highly encourage people to check that out. All right. Uh, one last question here from Scott Terry. He says, uh, how is apologetics, a justification of Christian belief different from Frame's much earlier work, Apologetics to the Glory of God? Yeah, so uh, I believe uh, what's expanded is uh, the problem of evil is the included chapter there. Mm -hmm. It's a uh, kind of two sections, multi-chapter, because uh, when, when you read Reformed, you have to always read uh, after the, the semicolon and, uh, and go from there. So um, th that's the main part that's, um, that's uh, molded in there. Uh, so if, if you have apologetics to justif uh, justification of Christian belief, that's uh, the second version. And uh, there is even um, a kind of forward where it talks about three reasons why um, the the book has been written um, in in such a way that it, it requires this. And one of the one of the reasons is a, an increase in uh, support and uh, curiosity of Reformed theology. And you just mm. look at uh, 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 Les Lamphere's um, Calvinist or um, American Gospel to show that uh, people uh, now. 
uh, have been yearning for something uh, kind of hardcore when it comes to their faith and not this kind of wishy-washy uh, name it and claim it. And, and uh, we, we, we want to be, we want to be uh, overburdened by, by God's glory. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Henry says uh, in Van Til's Christian apologetics chapter two, he says that natural and special revelation only find meaning when taken together. Doesn't this imply natural man with only natural revelation would have an excuse? No, no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't imply that because natural revelation has uh, you don't have the full picture, but you have a sufficient amount of the picture that makes man without excuse. So that natural man has a sufficient knowledge of God that makes him without excuse, but it is a knowledge that damns him, not a knowledge that saves him. Special revelation provides that redemptive knowledge, uh, and that's why we preach the gospel. We don't we don't say, hey, you know natural revelation is enough and that's it. Uh, we preach the gospel and it creates context for a more fully robust understanding of natural revelation. But without special revelation, uh, you're going to be limited, but not so limited that you are with excuse, if that makes sense. Okay. And I love the wording that the apostle Paul uses that they are without excuse, literally unapologetus. You're literally without an apologetic. So when you look around, you cannot escape uh, the, 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 existence of God all around you and the knowledge of God, uh, within you. Uh, let's see here. C Q P O Christian questioning, popular opinion. I made a super chat. Didn't seem to go through. Yeah, no, I didn't see a suit. Well, thank you for a super chat. I didn't see it go through either. Um, but if you are trying to send a super chat, greatly appreciate it. Uh, thank you. Let me see here. Christian monarchist does the proposition God does not exist entail a contradiction. Uh, do you want to take that one or you want me to take a stab at it? It's up to you. Yeah. Uh, you first, you're the expert and then I'll try and figure out what, uh, <laughs> what funny comment to add to it. Yeah. So linguistically it is not a contradiction, but the, what is entailed within affirming that proposition would be contradictory given the fact that God is the necessary precondition for intelligibility. So if that's true, if the transcendental argument is true, then the statement God does not exist is impossible. It would contradict. You'd actually you'd actually have to presuppose God in order to have that negation meaningful. And this is wrapped up in Van Til's summary of the presuppositional approach and the transcendental principle applied where he says that anti-theism presupposes theism. So to say I'm an anti-theist is not linguistically contradictory. But uh, when you go into the details of the content of those of that proposition, you will find that it actually needs to affirm or presuppose the very God that it's trying to deny. Mm. That's, that's, that's my thoughts there. Uh, Bonson, um, I think, makes a uh, example where he talks about the, the statement, I am lying. And he says, mm. uh, to, if, if we're going to be solely autonomous and human focused, if we're belly button looking, well, what do we do with, with that? Well, it's either true, it's not true. Uh, if we're in Star Trek, our our, our robots uh, combust with a with with that type of uh, contradiction. But if we have the transcendental, where uh, God is above us, uh, he he uh, is a God of truth. And he doesn't allow for contradictions in his world. This is just a contradiction, and um, uh, people are being absurd uh, with with that statement. Mm. All right, very good. All right, thank you for that. Yeah, CQPO uh, didn't see the super chat. Um... So if you want to try that again, greatly appreciate it. And I'm not sure what's going on. I'm not sure how that works. Um, so, but thank you. Now, uh, now that we're at the top of the hour and um, there's so many, I mean, the book, you can cover so many different things. What, what are some of the main uh, takeaways? In other words, like 
if someone would be like, what are the golden nuggets of this book that I need to take, I need to walk away with. And what are some areas that you would caution me of? Like, you know, maybe, maybe you think there's something within frame that doesn't really capture the essence of a, of a genuine presuppositional perspective. Um, how would you speak to that for someone who's asking questions along those lines? Yeah. So I, I would definitely recommend this book. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to poo poo frame in, in any way. Yeah. I uh, love he, frame. Yeah. I, he, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm of the the position that I can uh, enjoy my brothers without going, but I don't agree with everything he says when they die. And uh, sure. obviously, Frame is alive, but th there's a whole slew of of authors on my shelf where I don't want to have to do that every single time. So I'm just going to assume that people know that I don't agree with everyone every time. In fact, sure. probably an hour ago, I didn't agree with myself then, and so I would hope that I would be gracious <laughs> with myself in order to. Uh, give myself a, a, a to be able to call myself. Uh, so, so if you learn something new after you posted a video, do you and and the thing you've come to conclude is in disagreement with you with what you previously recorded? Do you go back and or and like delete? Your I, previous I am the editor, and what happens with the magic? <laughs> I I will say I I I was reading Covenantal Apologetics by um, uh, Alphant, and yeah. I I I vehemently just disagreed with his idea of using the Trinity when it comes to proselytizing to Muslims, and I, I'm 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 like, no, this this is the worst possible thing that you could do. And I met with my mentor Tony, who I do the show with at a coffee shop, and we talked it out. And I was like, this is the only way to do it. If anyone does it any other way, we, uh, you know, they're wrong. And so I I, at least I have to be gracious with uh, my 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 cage stage Calvinism uh, was listening to James White. Uh, get me slowly into reform. Tell me that there is a cage, but I work night shift, and so I'm by myself. And so my cage was just work. So, so I, right. I missed that. And Debating so I'm, I'm, I'm allowed opponent. to be gracious uh, with people. Okay. So, so I, I will be gracious with frame. He's he's reformed in theology. He's presuppositional in form, and he's rooted in the high view of scripture. And that's what you should take away: is that scripture is his number one priority. His number one priority is to glorify God and to build the church, and that comes through solely here. And he he uh, will not give the unbeliever a neutral ground, and and that that's that's probably the biggest takeaway. Now, where they diverge mm -hmm. is going to be the transcendental argument. And so, if you're not familiar with some of the uh, nuances with it, or uh, maybe even you're not quite sure what tag refers to, if you're not the cool kids that hashtag tag, uh, you know, uh, there there are other books to kind of familiar yourself with but there's a kind of six objections that frame has that i would say uh departs a lot from fantil to the point of there are some where um th th my one problem with a lot of people that uh negate frame uh vantil is i don't think they read him but the people that hmm. do read him uh can disagree but then yeah. sometimes they engage in argumentation where it's like but but do you understand that this isn't the case and so Frame, frame for the most part, understands where frames or where Vantel's coming from, mm -hmm. and there are there are just a few where it's like, I I, I just think he missed the point, and it, it's it's almost sad because uh, his uh, initial book into this one doesn't really make those changes or doesn't address those um, okay. those those claims that uh, at least Bonson uh, and and uh, uh, not to uh, to doubt you, but uh, with frame being in the audience, you would think maybe he'd want to stick an article in there because these are just kind of a collection of articles that his uh, uh, staff has put together and okay. made it in the, into a coherent uh, book. Sure. sure. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, here's another comment here from Henry. 
thanks, Henry, for sharing your thoughts here. He says, since man is without excuse from natural revelation, isn't this an argument for natural theology? Um, well, well, first, Henry, we want to make a distinction between natural revelation and natural theology. Natural revelation is what God does. He reveals himself, right? In Romans chapter 1, it says, uh, what can be known about God is made known to them because God has shown it to them. So that's not the same as natural theology. Natural theology is what we do. We reason about creation and, and so on and so forth. Now, I think uh, man being without excuse from natural revelation is not an argument for natural theology because natural revelation also involves the fact that God not only reveals himself through the created order, he also reveals himself to man innately so that man's knowledge of God is not derived simply from a looking and seeing of the heavens, which declare his glory, but it is an innate knowledge within man's own consciousness in light of the fact that he's created in the image of God. So that man, you can pluck man's eyes out so that he does not see, and yet he still has a knowledge of God because the knowledge of God is imprinted upon his very soul. So uh, this is not an argument for natural theology, um, because given the noetic effects of sin, what will man theologize about? What conclusions will he derive from the perspective of an unregenerate mind? Right? He's going to distort the revelation of God and suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Uh, so this is not necessarily an argument for natural theology when we say that man is without excuse based upon natural revelation. Do you have any thoughts on that, Patrick? Yeah, so there's the touch point that we talked about, being made in the image of God, but still having a touch point with suppression. But also, um, ask yourself, if you're a Christian, why are you putting down your weapon that you believe? You say, listen, I believe that Jesus died for my sins, uh, that he uh, rose again on the third day, that uh, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Well, why put that down? Don't you believe that? Be be true to to your convictions. Be true to what uh, what you claim to believe, and present that. You wouldn't want the atheist to uh, that you're talking to to present a case that they don't believe in. So why are you negating part of it uh, just because uh, you, you want an, an easier route? You you don't need that easier route because the easier route is to say, listen, with, without the, the 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 biblical Christian God, we couldn't know anything. We know right. things. Therefore, we have knowledge that way. Hmm. Very good. All right. Um, well, let's stop here. I think uh, there's so much more to go through, but I would I would love, Patrick, to have you on again to either continue discussion of this book or maybe cover some other areas that you've studied. Um, because I think uh, doing book reviews and talking about super helpful for people and like me, when I listen to videos about book summaries, it just makes me want to go and read a book. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, and I will say too, uh, e even even if you negatively review a book, and uh, I'm I'm uh, referencing a, a a friend who would definitely agree with this, who's a, a book reviewer for indie people, negatively review the book and say why you didn't like it, because mm. your negative review might be a positive review for somebody or somebody mm. looking for that. Oh, I hated this because all this person talks about is natural theology this, and it, it, it comports with the ideas that uh, Thomas uh, Aquinas uh, pr presents. Oh, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Uh, I'll, I'll read that because I'm looking for something to critique. So even your mm -hmm. negative reviews uh, out there um, uh, help readers find what they want to read. And so sure. those are good too. Excellent. But also, there are bad books out there. 
Yes, that's true. Uh, well, Patrick, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. And I hope that this discussion was useful for folks. Um, and, uh, definitely pardon, definitely going to have you back on to talk about some more, uh, uh pre-sup and theology, theology related topics. Uh, but for folks who, um, were listening in today, if you like a lot of what Patrick was saying and you like the sort of things that deal with book reviews and, and things like that, I highly recommend you check out his YouTube channel where he's joined by his friend and guest. And, uh, can you share a little bit about your, uh, your, your co-host? Yeah. Um, so folks know uh, when they check you out, who's this other guy? <laughs> yeah, my, my, my mentor, uh, Tony Van, uh, he's he's the one that got me through deductive logic class uh, in college. Mm. Uh, the, the book that I had was awful and terrible. And uh, I, I was actually dating his daughter at the time. And he he uh, was getting his doctorate in, the, in, in, in um, philosophy. And so he he had bored his family to death for so many years talking philosophy. And now he's got a new protege who's super excited about talking about things like uh you know descartes you go you go out into the woods for three days and you overturn everything and you've got the modern worldview in three days wow that, that's pretty impressive and so uh he's the doctorate in in, in philosophy and so if, if you think i'm smart which uh you should get yourself checked he's really the the brains that i check everything with and he corrects me in a very loving way and uh, again we just we just have a book review we release new episodes every monday uh for the book that we're doing uh, our, all our archives are on kidwithcross.com. It's on uh, YouTube as well, uh, your favorite podcatcher. Um, and then uh, we just open up a book, invite you in. You can have your coffee. You can read along with us. You can just listen to us jibber jabber about it. Uh, but we want to do all things to glorify God and, um, and build his church. And so um, we we uh, believe in the, the presuppositional method. And so that's it tends to be where we focus the most part. But Every mm. once in a while, we we go off and and do a, another fun book. We might yeah. be doing an ethics book uh, coming up later because uh, a lot of ethics books tends to just be here's the problem and here's the biblical response to it. But what are the the ethics of Christianity? And so that's uh, something that I might uh, be playing around with uh, this coming yeah. year. Well, that's awesome. Well, Patrick, thank you so much for coming on. I really do appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to having. This is you back meeting my hero you. again. I, I the great thing about podcasts is that you get to talk to people who you watch all the time. And so th th this is solely my pleasure. And thank you very much, Eli. And again, uh, Precept you, uh, you, you have to uh, sign up and, and, and just be under the tutelage uh, mm. of, of someone who's explaining uh, Precept in, in a way uh, that you can grasp onto and then utilize uh, for the church. Yeah. Well, awesome. I appreciate it. Uh, just real quick. So someone is asking here, are you working on your next Precept course? Yes, I am. Uh, it's basically presup applied. I'm going to be applying presuppositional methodology to atheism, Roman Catholicism, presuppositional Eastern Orthodoxy, the cults, and um, some other category that I don't remember off the top of my head. I'm still working on it. So, but but I've definitely the juices and the gears are flowing. So I've got stuff down. I'm making my slides, and and when that's ready, I'll I'll let folks know. You've got um, your icons for your. Eastern Orthodox brothers. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I'm not an expert in Eastern Orthodoxy, but I, I've been very interested in the presup the application of presuppositionalism within an Eastern Orthodox context. So it, I find it is, it is a growing field too, especially on yeah. in the YouTube space as well. Yes, yes, and I, I find it fascinating. I mean, I'm not, you know, obviously I, I disagree, uh, but. I very much have I found great interest in reading Eastern Orthodox material. I'm still learning because uh, I do believe that if I disagree with a position, I want to be sure to 
understand the position. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not a scholar by any means. I might, I might be well-spoken and, you know, people like, Oh, you know, I love the way you explain stuff. I don't have a PhD or anything like that. And I'm a full-time teacher. So the primary way that I learn is through audio. And that does, that means I don't always write things down. I'm just trying to learn as much as I can and then address issues that I think people are asking about. So I'm trying my best. Um, I know I probably won't have it down perfectly, but I am well-versed in presuppositionalism. So I'm, I'm very interested in how uh, Eastern Orthodoxy kind of melds that in within their perspective. So that'll be one of the, the lectures in the series. So hope people uh, find that useful. So without further ado, guys, thank you so much. Until next time, take care and God bless. Bye-bye.